welcome back to Out Loud with Kai, Elena, and Mia. In this special two-part series, we'll be discussing everything about porn, the good, the bad, the ethics, porn literacy, and more. Let's get into it. Also, a friendly reminder that these are just our opinions, but all data has been researched by trusted sources. So as we jump right in, I think it's important to acknowledge that Sex Out Loud and hereby Out Loud, um, we have a very like pro-porn stance and we we understand that this could be controversial. There are a lot of thoughts on porn that we'll explore throughout this episode. But just to start off, we are pro-porn, specifically pro-ethical porn. And this just means that we support all production of ethical porn, whether that be through OnlyFans, um, ethical porn websites, uh, different forms of media, audio porn. Uh, different forms of erotica, um, that's what we support. And porn generally is just sexual subject material such as film, video, images, or text that has the intention to assist one in their sexual arousal. So a pretty broad term, and there's a lot of different avenues we can go about in seeking these. Yeah, so big range of things. It can include magazines, artwork, photography, literature, audio, film, video, animation, and video games. I guess some things to know, porn is a form of entertainment and most of the time it does not depict like what is reality. Porn is scripted and is staged. Um, and yeah, porn isn't for everyone and that's okay, but like it is for some and it is for a lot of people. So. Yeah, like the majority of this <laughs> the population. Majority of population. And there is a lot of hot takes about porn. A lot of folks are, especially specifically within feminism too, still, like there's a lot of folks who are very anti-porn because, um, and that's rooted in the belief that porn supports like patriarchal norms and misogyny, um, et cetera. So with that being said, like we, th that's why we're very like pro-ethical porn and are intentional about the language we use when talking about this because it's important that not, not all forms of porn we agree with, you know, and yeah. I think that that's fair. And we'll get into more of what ethical porn is in the second part of this two-part series. But for now, we could just talk about kind of like that umbrella of like porn in general. Porn is a huge form of sex education and like we should be talking about it. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's kind of crazy. About 80% of Americans between ages 18 to 24 think that porn is a really great place to learn about sex. Which I find a little concerning. Yeah, young adults. Especially right. since it's scripted and mm -hmm. it is like a performance in yeah. a way. Like, obviously, a lot of people kind of maybe have an idea that that's how sex should be and then maybe be disappointed or be mm -hmm. freaked out or something. And especially if we're not, like, as maybe a plug back to our previous episode, um, sex education in America is pretty trash. Yeah. And I feel like. If you come from a region where either it is abstinence only or it is very limited, like, your entire scope of sex could very well just be porn. Yeah, so, like, and I'm sure that's true for a lot of people. Yeah. Oftentimes, porn is also the first sexual experience that young people have or that they come across. Yeah. Um, and the age, of course, is getting younger and younger. Like, accessing porn for the first time is getting younger and younger, especially mm -hmm. as technology is kind of playing mm -hmm. a role in our in our society. And people are getting exposed to porn as young as, like, 9 to 11 years old. Mm -hmm. The average being a little bit higher, but there are some young folks out there who are seeing porn with little to no context and little to no explanation, education, especially comprehensive education um, on sex. Especially when it's kind of seen as, like, a we don't talk about this thing. Like, mm -hmm. especially if you're a parent or an educator or something, like, 
if you just say we don't talk about that and you don't like delve into it, then your kid could just kind of obviously I don't think that's going to stop a child from being mm-hmm. interested and yeah. then they're just not going to have like the knowledge or context that maybe they should have. And porn is like a billion dollar industry. It's it's making comparable amounts to Amazon, like a recent study found, which 100%. is insane. But that being said, like when you search porn in your your browser, Pornhub is one of the first ones that come up. Right. And that's that's be it's a huge platform. There's so much different content on there for like every theme fantasy ever and we'll get into that a little bit later if it exists there's probably a porn version of it yeah but the the problem with this huge hub being people's first exposure is that they're seeing a lot of probably not nice things or not things that we want to perpetuate and learn from um and this is like a big part of why we just need comprehensive sex education in general available for students at school because if folks aren't learning about sex in school, they're going to learn about it online where things get a lot more murky, especially because a lot of problematic content is released for anyone to see. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no age restrictions and and there needs to be a huge change in the sex education system. There needs to be accurate, inclusive, comprehensive sex education that discusses all topics ranging from consent to pleasure. And mm-hmm. there's a lack of funding for sure, but there, there's also a lack of support, especially when, when, when it's politicized as well. So it's just, yeah. it's, it's interesting. And yeah, knowledge is power and keeping kids in the dark is just kind of going to perpetuate more problems. And yeah, we really need better sex education. <laughs> Oftentimes when sex education is offered in schools, it's often just like lumped into a general health course. Mm -hmm. And there's not a lot of talk about sex in general, especially if it's talking about pleasure, um, birth control, depending on the situation. A lot of times it's like very procreation based Mm -hmm. and absence only education. And of course, most of the time also leaves out talking about porn, which again is like the number one place. Kids are going yeah. to look for sex, to talk about sex, to get their sex questions answered. And it's also a place that they go just because they accidentally go there. Like mm-hmm. the internet mm-hmm. is kind of crazy like that. So I think it's crazy that it's not talked about in school. Um, it also kind of just leaves out a lot of people when it comes to sexual scripts and just like the norms that we see in porn. It's very like cis, heteronormative, um, leaves out a lot of gay, trans, bisexual intersex, asexual people, and of course those with disabilities as well. Mm -hmm. I think too, that is something that I just thought of, like they never show barrier methods, Mm -hmm. testing, discuss birth control, any of that stuff. So like, if we're not seeing that, we don't, we don't know that. And that's, that's also goes into sex education. Like in the States in which there's most comprehensive sex education, they have the lowest rates for unwanted or unplanned teen Mm -hmm. pregnancies. In addition to having less STI rates, which I think is like the same if, if porn is used as like a learning tool, which, you know, we can't really stop if all of young adults, young children are accessing it. It just needs to be more catered towards it. Yeah, we, the context is so important. I also think it's really important for queer kids. Make sure that there is queer content because a lot of queer kids their only knowledge about any of it is again from porn Mm -hmm. and obviously like even in tv and stuff like there's not a lot of queer content that can actually see like a consensual situation with two Mm -hmm. queer women and I think it's like especially a problem 
for queer kids because there's just such a void mm-hmm. of any yeah. type of knowledge and they yeah. I feel like there's just this this is like a, there's such a deep desire to want to know more especially when it's not something that you see at all but you feel for yourself and we'll discuss a lot more about like porn literacy in episode two but especially like for youth and for um the young folks that are accessing porn it's so important to know how to do that safely well Let's jump into the history of porn. Mm, Where did she come from? (laughs) Where did she come from? So I think a fun thing is that it's absolutely just like really super hard to pinpoint to a specific date because it's kind of just always been here, which is a little bit bizarre to think about. Um, It kind of reminds me of our conversations about sex workers in the previous Mm -hmm. episode. Like, sex work has kind of always existed. Yeah. Um, Same thing with porn in just a generalized way. Like, we know we've seen, like, imagery in um, different cave paintings. There have been, like, many erotic texts or depictions in, like, ancient art, pottery, architecture, etc. Hieroglyphics Um, as fuck. (laughs) There's just so much out there from so long ago. And Mm -hmm. I guess, to be fair, too, we don't always know the context and, like, what it was used for. Mm -hmm. But we do know that it was depicted heavily, and it has been for a really long time. And even Hammurabi's Code, we talked about this in our sex work series, mentioned something along the lines of sex workers' rights, for sure, but also had this, like, underlying tone of sexual entertainment, if you will, and that was back in 1780 BC. So we know that it's nothing new. Obviously, as technology changes, it feels new, because, like, virtual reality porn and all these different (laughs) things are developing, but, like, porn has, has always kind of been here. Whatever form that takes, it's always been a thing. Also the Kama Sutra, like, which is still heavily referenced, heavily used. We have a copy in the Sex Out Loud office. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an early ancient Indian Sanskrit text on sexuality, eroticism, and emotional fulfillment in life. And a lot of positions have been, like, based off of what was, like, depicted in the Kama Sutra. There's so much. It's a very extensive text, but there's been a lot of variations from it. And, like, to this day in 2023, we still use it as, like, a baseline for pleasure, you know? Mm-hmm. But then just kind of talking more about, like, 20th century history, um, in the early 1920s, um, a lot of people were prosecuted for producing and distributing sexually explicit films. Um, A lot of these films were made by amateurs um, in the 1920s, and they were primarily coming out of France and the U.S., And at this time, it was, like, really risky to be creating, producing, making these productions and distributing them was, like, very strictly private. People were obviously, like, it was illegal. So, like, you could (laughs) be persecuted, you could be arrested. So it was very hush-hush, very behind the scenes. And then in 1969... Denmark was one of the first countries to abolish censorship and and legalize pornography, but that did also include child pornography. It was still illegal in many other countries and needed to be smuggled in or sold under the counter or shown in like a secret cinema or secret cinema club. Yeah, which existed kind of in a lot of places in the world. So at this point, too, it was kind of just very quiet and Mm -hmm. also... I did read something that a lot of times it was just men viewing these things. Like, women Mm. weren't really allowed to partake in these activities, Mm -hmm. so to speak. And it was mainly just, like, men talking to men, like, by word of mouth type of things. Also, something interesting to note, that a lot of this stuff was silent. And I think that's crazy to me because I think a lot of porn, like, is so 
like audio heavy yeah. mm-hmm. like there's even audio erotica mm-hmm. so thinking about a lot of these films being completely silent it's just like a funny thought to me but also just really interesting yeah and then that definitely goes with like the whole idea of women not really like they shouldn't have a sexual desire so then we shouldn't mm-hmm. allow them to view this type of content because that's not like womanly or like the right thing to do and that yeah a lot of changes were made really quickly. So that was in 1969 when Denmark was the first to abolish censorship. But then from that point forward, from 1969 until 1984, it was deemed like the golden age of porn or, or porno chic for American commercial pornography. And we'll see like kind of the development of, of Playboy and such, which we'll get into very shortly. But this was specifically when sexually explicit films garnered a lot of positive attention from mainstream cinemas, movie critics, and the general public. It, it spread internationally. And I think it's interesting because that kind of aligns with sexual like liberation. It's so. also interesting too, because like this golden age is really fun because that's kind of when it started getting to like the main media and mm-hmm. it wasn't so frowned upon. It was honestly like today... I think we'd view it as more like artsy films that included a lot of sex. Mm-hmm. So it was also kind of like framed as not just like porn, but like art film. Mm-hmm. And the sex was in it, but it also just like was something that like high society viewed because mm-hmm. it was more like an artsy type film and it was produced well. It was not made as much so yeah. by like amateurs of the time and like the use of technology of the time and cameras of the time and editing like, really started to kind of, like, it grew in this well, time period. Yeah, and I'm sure that contributed to some mm-hmm. partial destigmatization because that now suddenly it's not dirty, it's chic, it's, it, it's, it's cinematic. It's interesting because even today, like, a lot of international films are a lot more comfortable having nudity and yeah. just mm-hmm. their regular, like, this is a movie. Mm-hmm. And then in the U.S., it's definitely, I think, marketed or seen as, like, oh, that's more, like, a sexual movie or that Absolutely. is... And it just goes very hand-in-hand with, like, how Americans view being naked and like sexuality and how like Mm -hmm. a lot of other countries around the world view it very differently than us Mm. and I think we have yeah again just like a very strict way of thinking about things we also kind of bring into the conversation like the way we as a society shift back and forth between Mm -hmm. like ideologies or cultural norms just we recycle through them at like such fast I guess paces like we're just going back and forth all the time. And I feel like now, too, like, it kind of is a little bit more negative today in Mm -hmm. culture and society. And, like, I there's been so much discourse recently with, like, the reason for, not porn, I guess, sex is in movies and, like, how we should absolutely remove all sex from movies. And there's, like, a lot of discourse there and that, like, it doesn't further the plot or whatever. But, like, yeah. we can all choose what movies right. we put on. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's, so it's a little bit bizarre. Like, I feel like we're kind of, like, going backwards a little bit. But, I mean, yeah. I just think it is really interesting that at the time it was very artsy and it wasn't frowned upon, really. Bring me back. Just kidding. <laughs> but then, I guess, we still experienced the effects of that because then from this era, Playboy you know launched and that was in 1953 when Hugh Hefner which I have thoughts about but moving on I digress um published the first issue of Playboy and he described it as like a quote-unquote handbook for the urban male whatever that means um but it it contains as most of us probably know uh, naked images of women with articles and interviews that discussed politics and culture and then further, uh, Playgirl coming out in 1973. Which is interesting because it took a really long time for them yeah. to make like 20 a, years. A literally. Version. Like, 
air quote. Yeah, and but, still, even Playboy is still, like, the yeah. leading. Even though all of Playboy was just, like, naked women. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, but these women couldn't have their own. Yeah, also, it's very cis, heteronormative yeah. thinking, but it is interesting that there's mm-hmm. such a time jump between yeah. them. But, I mean, I digress. <laughs> <laughs> well, even if we look at Playboy today, I, I have lots of thoughts about Playboy in general, but, like, blatantly, like, I do think that Playboy has become a really, like, cool kind of, like, thing to engage in. Like, their merch is everywhere. Like, I wear a bunch of Playboy stuff because I, I like the destigmatization aspects of when Playboy came out. It's interesting to see, like, Playboy issues from the 50s and then Playboy issues now. Like, now we have people of color. We have, like, hair and no hair. Like, I have a Playboy calendar, and it's honestly very inclusive um, <laughs> in comparison to, like, previous issues. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's, it's interesting to see how that has even changed. It's also interesting to see, like, cover girls. If you look at it, you can, like, it's very clear what trends were happening in the year yeah. that the covers were released. And I think it is interesting to kind of see the way... Again, as a culture, we change beauty standards and we yeah. change expectations. And I think that's a, another interesting conversation that we won't really touch on today. But it is interesting to think about. Learning via the Playboy archives. But let's fast forward to the 90s. In the 90s, um, obviously, the Internet became a huge thing. <laughs> um, and it was a major player in improving porn accessibility and also with the help of like digital cameras coming out, people could then kind of create and distribute their own porn independent of other mainstream networks. So it was becoming a lot more personalized, mainstream. Most people were starting to have access to it, which was not really like what we were discussing the case previously. And data suggested an increase in porn views in 2015 and showed that basically it's been growing and growing steadily, or not even steadily, like rapidly, rapidly like, which I've, yeah, over I the believe. decades. But yeah, just like all this advancement in our technology, um, creation of laptops, cell phones, Wi-Fi, everything modernized and democratized. But technically, like in a way, there's still definitely class differentials. And then OnlyFans came out and a bunch of other subscription services have come out. Mm-hmm. And this is also gaining huge popularity as um, platforms for porn distribution. It's just basically becoming like very, very easy to consume, to create. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of access with, like, affordability. Um, Even, like, Snapchat. Like, you can send nudes within seconds. Like, it's crazy. I think, too, like, smartphones are getting better and better. Mm -hmm. And, like, our Wi-Fi is getting better and better. And more and more people are having cell phones, too. And I think that also has been a really big game changer in the way we access porn and how often we do. I think that as we're talking about the history, it is important to acknowledge that there was a group of feminists that were very anti-porn. A few groups. Yeah, and try to create legislations. And specifically, who I'm talking about right now is Women Against Pornography, um, which was a group created by radical feminists in New York in around 1976. We touched on this in our previous episode, but just to, it's it's relevant. But other groups such as like Women Against Violence, um, Women Against Violence in Pornography and Media, and they originally oppose the circulation, distribution, and creation of sexual violence in mainstream media, not just necessarily sex. But they believed that there was this glorification of sexual violence in mainstream media, which, you know, enforced the patriarchy, which enforced this idea that women should just accept brutal treatment. It it enforced a lot of misogyny um, in their perspective, and that the violence and abuse were 
you know, normalized and they were forms of normal, quote unquote, uh, male sexuality and behavior. And they believed that women could only enjoy true sexual freedom with the absence of violence. And obviously they believed that, you know, porn had a direct correlation to this. So over time, they made a strategic choice to focus their efforts on violence and pornography specifically. And, you know, there were court cases, there were a lot of things going on, but at the end of the day, nothing was ever really brought about it because limiting pornography in whatever context that is would be considered censorship. And also this was around the time uh, sexual liberationists kind of came out as well. So they kind of, heads, yeah. So. And, and that's still relevant for today. Why, why we cannot censor porn because it's, it, it's censorship, you know? So, and that's why we really want to stress consuming porn knowledgeably, which we'll, we'll touch on. But as of now, there's some crazy trends in porn. <laughs> crazy. So we did want to just touch base on trends in porn worldwide, like internationally, but also some more specific to just the United States. Um, I think it's really interesting. I'm like a fan of this. It is from Pornhub, which, you know, we're not the biggest fans of Pornhub, but the I guess the good thing about Pornhub is that so many people are using this. Assessing they're porn. transparent they're about very, yeah, and they're very their data. Pornhub is going to be like one of the number one places people are getting their porn, viewing their porn. So because of that, we do have really great stats on what people are viewing, the different themes, the different categories. Typically ages, typically like consuming. Ages, um, how much they're consuming, when they're con consuming it. So I think it's just really interesting to know a little bit more because, again, at the end of the day, a lot of people are consuming porn. So I think it's just really beneficial for us to kind of have an understanding of what people are consuming and and just talk about that a little bit. There's definitely a lot of like cultural and social like implications for it. In the US, the most searched for terms of 2022 start out with lesbian porn and then hentai porn and ebony and Latina and Asian porn. So this definitely points to a lot of, like, fetishization. For um, sure. For sure. Queer people, of people of color being consumed, right? Or being searched. Being searched, really. being searched, definitely. So whether that's, like, you know, positive or negative for the people thinking that they're, I guess, searching it, like, that's just the reality. So that, I think it kind of goes back into, like, people probably don't even know it is problematic that they're searching this mm -hmm. in general. Like, they don't even really think about yeah. it. Yeah. And I think that kind of just tells us that we should have more porn literacy and we should be more aware of like, mm -hmm. the nuances surrounding titles and expectations and storylines and yeah. tags in porn, too. Because yeah. some tagings are, like, very problematic. Yeah. Problematic when you go on Pornhub and look at any of their videos. So I think, like, people probably aren't always, you know, doing this with, like, malintent. But at the end of the day, like, it's very clear how much we fetishize a lot of different marginalized groups. And yeah. it's very important to, like, be aware of that, because, like, what you mm -hmm. were saying, like, a lot of people probably don't realize it, and it's, like, maybe taking a step back and actually, like, discussing in class and whatever, like, you can kind of be more aware of what you consume and mm -hmm. trying to, like, kind of maybe push against those narratives that you are perpetuating. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's even, like, just what's interesting about the top search term being lesbian is that generally the viewers of Pornhub are typically men or people who identify as men and having lesbian by a lot being the top by search term lot, yeah. is super interesting especially because it makes us think about like the lesbian porn that is being created is likely tailored towards men which is like adds to that idea that it's performative you yeah. know these actors may not necessarily be fully representing like their actual 
orientation, their actual interests, their actual, it's part of a performance. I also think some interesting things, a little bit lower on the list, but like technically up in percentage points, mm-hmm. furries, 19% up. And yeah. also real amateur and homemade porn, 122% up from that, last year. That was all me. That's <laughs> interesting too that like lesbian scissoring and lesbian are like two separate categories. Absolutely. If you look, it's the same thing with Latina and then thick Latina also being on the top but it's 20 searches. Top. Yeah. And then in general, we wanted to just touch base on most search terms internationally because I think there is a big difference culturally, as Elena was yeah. talking about. Um, kind of similar stuff though, but internationally, hentai, Japanese, MILF, lesbian top four so again Mm -hmm. a lot of things that are being fetishized and i mean i don't know i guess i wasn't super surprised at all thoughts mia i'm (laughs) i'm i mean i'm not surprised either however well okay one thing i think is interesting is that the comparison between hentai and japanese are super similar super like they're very close on that list probably a very probably a couple hundred thousand view difference, right? Which is not a lot. But that's also like, what the fuck? (laughs) Like, globally. And I just think that like, it's so, a porn is so hush-hush in general as well. And it's so interesting because I doubt that when you go up to someone and it's like, what do you watch on porn? No one's going to be like hentai. People are probably looking it up just to be like, what the fuck? Because True, because, well, hentai had been trending for like a little bit. It has been trending. But I also think that like, oh, Probably surprising amount of people actually enjoy it and view it on a regular basis. Yeah. And, like, we're not here to kink shame, but we are here to, like, remind folks to consume these things knowledgeably and ethically. And, like, if what you're watching is stereotyping cultures is... Fetishizing. Yeah. And it's... My guess is that on Pornhub, the top... Well, not even my guess. I've looked. The the top, hentai. Like, it's not... And, it, and that's also, hentai is so not realistic. Like, it's not one of the right. more realistic porns, which is super interesting. It's it's more based in fantasy, which also enforces this whole idea that porn's performative, and we right. really hope people remember I mean, that. I also think it is about fantasy, which just brings up another mm-hmm. good point, is that sometimes what people are into in terms of fantasy and in terms of, like, their solo porn habits aren't necessarily even reflections of, like, what they actually desire and want in their own sex life, Mm -hmm. which, like, was a really interesting thing for me to understand, I guess, because I'd assume, like, if you're looking this up, that's because you're interested in it in real life. But sometimes, like, it can be the opposite. Like, our sexual fantasies do not always match up with our desires. So I think it's also Mm -hmm. interesting to start like, asking yourself why you're consuming the porn you're consuming and, like, what types of porn you're consuming and, like, kind of getting at why you are consuming it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Because it isn't always about, again, what you desire. And I think sometimes there is a lot of guilt involved with, like, your the porn that you enjoy consuming and it maybe doesn't always match up with who you feel like you are as a person. And I think there's also a lot of room, I guess, for growth and also understanding that, like, you're not a bad person right now, like, if you are consuming porn that maybe is problematic. And I think this is mm-hmm. just like a really, we want to talk about it to like raise awareness and to start mm-hmm. thinking about why we're consuming what we consume and to start critiquing ourselves and just like ask questions. Mm-hmm. And, and keeping it hush hush keeps all discussion off the table. It keeps mm-hmm. all this type of like self-reflection, everything off the table. So people are still consuming it. They're still watching these videos without any type of 
thought process behind it. I think one thing that I'm not sure if we mentioned that the data that we're basing off of is from 2022, but with that being said, there's still, you can look at almost every single Pornhub's year in review and every single year there is some form of like problematic kind of theme going on. So I just thought that was like important to know. You know, one thing that doesn't change every year is like the top country that watches the most porn, <laughs> that being the United States, with the UK coming in next, but not nearly as not enough. Like it's U- US by a landslide. As we looked at like kind of like the United States top relative searches, you can kind of see state by state, like who's searching the most. Like what's what's Wisconsin's? <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> not the conservatives. <laughs> anyway, but. Indiana is very geographic. Indiana, well, that's Indiana? it's probably Gary, Indiana. I'm not gonna lie, <laughs> but it, I mean, it really is interesting. It New is York's anime. There are surprising yeah. things on here. Breast expansion, also for a. I saw that. I saw that. <laughs> not sure what that is. So anyway, at the at the end of the day, it's just it's really interesting yeah it's it's there's comprehensive and you can see trends just by like objectively looking at these maps and you can also see the favorite times to watch porn (laughs) absolutely so it's not surprising right most popular times of course being 11 and midnight 11 p.m and midnight Right before um, tucking into bed. <laughs> right, right. 1 a.m. pretty popular, but surprisingly, 4 o'clock. 4 o'clock, pretty popular time of day. Right after work, I bet. Right. That's what Way I'm thinking. De-stress. Or school. Or school, like right yeah. after school, right. before your parents get home. And <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that makes sense to me. And of course, least popular day. This one actually surprised me. I it's agree. Friday. It's because people are getting people fucked are going up Friday. Out. People, people are, are doing out. stuff. Most popular day, though, being Sunday. Self-care that Sunday, babe. sense, though. It's like you're winding down your yeah. weekend. You're gonna have a new week coming up. You need to, like, relax. <laughs> this is not necessarily good or bad. It's just, I think it's interesting to know. But I would agree, time. Going into our next category is time spent per visit. I... Honestly, I'm not shocked that it's so little, but it is interesting. So the average duration of time visited is nine minutes and 41 seconds. Wow. Oh, it's that's kinda... also interesting that it's relatively consistent. Like, yeah. from 2021, it was only three seconds more than this. Right. So, like, it, but this is, like, a... It's consistent. Also, I'm, like, it's duration of, like, the site. So that also is, like, including, like, looking for a video. How? <laughs> Here's my question. I guess they just really know what they want. They know what they want. It happens quickly, apparently. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I guess the more that you use it, the Perhaps. easier you know. Like, yeah. you know what you like. You know mm-hmm. how to get yourself off. So, like, right. it's it going to be quicker. Easier, yeah. yeah. This is, okay, this is just, like, a on a personal note. I Like, what I do when I'm consuming porn, I, like, have all my favorite videos. Not saved, because, like, usually, like, you can't really, like, do that unless you have an account. I'm not about that. Well, unless, well, my ethical porn sites I have an account for, but that's, like, different. But what I do is, like, I take, like, screenshots of, like, my favorite, okay. like, searches and, like, the videos or, like, the parts in the video that really got me, got me going. And I, like, have a folder Fair. in my phone that's just, like, porn I like. And, like, whenever I'm, like, in a rush, I, I gotta go to class in 20 minutes, but I'm horny. I, like, go right to the video I know that recently made me orgasm. And I, like, order them differently. So I'm just... in that list. I'm also in- <laughs> I'll, show, I'll show you after this. It's um, 
Well, that's good. Like, I mean, you know, you're, you yeah, yeah. It's and it's like I don't have time to waste. You so, sometimes you gotta be organized. So I don't, I don't know that that's the whole populations, but at least for me, I'm like assuming that people who like do like have favorite right. creators, have favorite. Well, so like, sure yeah, people. yeah. So I'm sure it like makes some sort of sense. Wisconsin is not on these the longest or shortest list. So I guess in Wisconsin we just kind we of we fall in the middle. We're very much in the middle. We're average. Look at us being F. Another one I thought was really interesting, didn't really consider this, was traffic by game console. So how often things are visited. And of course, PlayStation. I would not be watching my porn on my my PlayStation. (laughs) Not when I got a phone. But I guess, like, I'm on the TV. A little bit under, too. A little bit under 1% people are accessing... (gasps) Nintendo! Not the Nintendo! On the Wii. What? What? We got discontinued in this. Not after bowling, you're gonna go <laughs> watch porn on your Wii. <laughs> Interesting. Wii and, and porn. How uh, bizarre. Date night. How bizarre. <laughs> uh, and then, okay, top gaining categories for different categories of porn for the 2022 year. Um, reality. That's interesting because we've been talking so much about how porn is like very much performative, very mm-hmm. much an like a show almost. And it's like now it's, I think for a while people and how like hentai was like number one and how Mia was talking about how that's very much like out of reality. So it's interesting to see that that's raised so much. Yeah, it increased And like that that's what people are kind of like searching for now. It is interesting. I think there's like the two sides of it. It's like either very like whimsical, fantastical, <laughs> or like you want to porn, like yeah. homemade, like shot on an iPhone. <laughs> like they're two absolutely just different categories. And I think, I mean, it kind of makes sense, I guess. Um, scissoring, a pretty close second. Babysitter 18 plus, which is a little bit yikes. Um, outdoor. That is a little yikes. Orgy, gangbang. Transgender, oh, Latina, Asian, POV. So again, well, some problematic ones up there. Tattooed woman is up there for viewed the longest. Mm-hmm. Feeling validated. Sure. Tattooed <laughs> women for categories that are viewed the longest. Yeah. So also in that is blonde, role play, romantic, strap on. Romantic does make sense though. Yeah. I feel like romantic mm-hmm. videos you have a little scene. bit of a slow start, mm-hmm. so it makes sense that they're viewing it longest. And then shortest categories, muscular men. We <laughs> <laughs> just don't care about the most. It's so <laughs> I love that tattooed woman is in the highest and <laughs> muscular men. At least viewed. <laughs> At least viewed. Uncensored cartoons, scissoring, big tits, redhead, and virtual reality. As we go through those statistics, we've seen a lot about our society, specifically within the United States. But though there are some clearly problematic topics that are being searched repeatedly. Porn in general has a lot of really good benefits. And we wanted to do porn a little bit of justice by talking about how porn can be beneficial to both us and our partners. First, we're going to talk a little bit about solo benefits. So I think it really provides people an opportunity to figure out what they like in general, especially um as a young adult, like you're not necessarily always sure what you're interested in, what you're into. So it really lets you go on like a little self-discovery of your own sexuality and the sex and the types of sex that you enjoy. It's like an arousal quiz. Yeah, and uh, yeah absolutely. Um, there's also some novelty too. If you're potentially interested in something, it's like new and fun and you can 
decide to explore new fantasies as well, new kinks, and it also is a really safe space free from external judgment of other partners. Um, and it's also something super private, so you can view something, not get judged, and not necessarily tell anyone about it. And I mm-hmm. think that that's powerful because we all kind of have different needs and wants, desires, um, interests, fantasies, and you can explore those without feeling pressure. And you also can explore things that you might be interested in and view it once and completely not be interested in it. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a way you can explore things a little bit more low stakes before you actually kind of express that potentially in a partnered relationship or solo and continuing to explore that. Um, self-care is also really important. Of course, you can masturbate without porn, but a lot of times having like a visual or even audio erotica, literature, all of those things can kind of help kind of set the external mood. stimulation. Right. The external stimulation really sets the mood. Um, so while you don't need porn, it can be a benefit in that way. We also don't have to worry about like what we look like, how we smell, how we're being perceived by another person, because of course you're by yourself. Um, masturbation overall also relieves stress and it's good for you. So some people again need visual stimulation to be aroused and that's okay. So sometimes people do need to use porn, though not all the time. Not everyone needs um, visual porn. And also, if you haven't tried, there is audio porn, which is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and almost all audio porn is ethical, right. too. Mm-hmm. because So it's a great option. It's a, it's a really great mm-hmm. option if you haven't tried it and if you're also just looking for something new. Mm-hmm. Additionally, we, we acknowledge that porn and porn's relationship to us is heavily under-researched, but... There is this idea that has been studied somewhat um, that it can increase sexual libido. Um, In 2015, there was a study conducted at the University of California, and they found a positive correlation between porn and specifically uh, sex drive within men. Um, Scientists at the university asked 280 men to record their porn viewing experience while also tracking their libido to see if watching the sexual stimuli was related to how they responded to real-life sexual advances um, in the bedroom. So they found that uh, men who watched more than two hours of porn had a higher desire for sex with a partner um, than just solo sex or masturbation. So overall, not researched very much, but I think it's an interesting antithesis to this narrative that like porn fucks up our ability to have sex in real life because we're so used to like the video and like we we do touch on this but I do think it's like an interesting oppositional perspective also porn's super accessible um and we talked about that with the internet it's even on YouTube you ever google or YouTube sex toy review people fuck sex toys on YouTube for free and you know you could you could view that anywhere um yeah, so at any point yeah no it's it's crazy what you can see on YouTube nowadays. Also, just, like, looking up, like, compilations of, like, top best sex scenes from movies. Also, somewhat ethical. You know, you could do that. Um, but basically, like, porn is super accessible for folks. Some people who may not have a partner and, you know, want this external stimuli but don't, like, have anyone necessarily. Um, a really easy option. Porn can slay. If we let it. <laughs> porn can slay. I love also, if you do have a partner, um, many counselors suggest sometimes that it is helpful to become more comfortable with a particular fantasy that their their partner may have um, by watching porn. 
together also. Um, pornography can reboot a couple's sex life, it can give you ideas, or it can help you get in touch with what both of you find to be arousing and like what turns you on, basically. It can be a good way to indirectly share what you want yeah 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 definitely it's a lot easier to maybe communicate your needs in this way and be like oh I really like that video instead of being like oh you're not doing this you know it's like no it's like a very like positive reinforcement type way Mm -hmm. um and then with porn yeah like you'll know your own individual likes and dislikes more you'll be less dependent on your partner's sexual affection potentially potentially um, and regardless of your gender, you'll likely have greater control over when, if, and how frequently you reach climax because you'll already be very intimately connected with your sexual arousal arch. Um, for men, this often means that you'll have greater control over when you climax. And for women, this will mean that you'll be more adept at reaching orgasm more quickly and more frequently. And though porn is great, um, or can be great, can be great. There's a lot of critiques that are rooted in a lot of validity because historically also the way porn is perpetuated has been awful. Um, It's, you know, often misogynistic, racist, ableist, violent, and excludes explicit consent conversations. It's also very cis and heteronormative and can lead to a lot of misrepresentation in general about gender, sexuality, ability, body size, what actually happens when someone squirts. Um, Mind you, it's not fountains. Just saying, a lot of these actors and actresses will, like, douche preemptively and, like, whatever. So, it like, it, it you know, it's lying to you a lot of the time. It is like TV. Like, yeah. TV yeah. is magic. Nothing is true. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's, like, which is harmful when you're 9 to 11 years old and watching that and then confused when it doesn't mimic reality. It can inform misogyny, incest, patriarchal norms, gendered roles fetishization, rape, um, and none of these things should be perpetuated or, yeah, like, it's it's just not good. Mm-hmm. It's not good. And it's definitely, like, valid to have these critiques of porn. In the 2020 porn year interview, like, one of the most searched things was stuck, quote-unquote. And if we remember that era where, like, I'm stuck under this. And, like, it's, it's rape fantasy. And they're mm-hmm. huge hugely popular and it's just like and that you know when people think of porn a lot of time they think of like these very over exaggerated but very clearly fucked up like scenes um and it's just like I can understand where all these critiques come from because like when we're pushing that into society and when they're getting popular it's like what stops those videos from becoming reality yeah exactly and and the reality is not much stops that you know like it 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 perpetuates it Mm -hmm. Which is scary. I guess overall, it's a harmful narrative. Even if people aren't talking about it, they're thinking about it. Like, we know so many people are accessing porn. If, you know, we're not having the discussion to talk about it in positive or negative ways. So, like, it's just not being talked about, period. But I think that's also really harmful because people aren't self-aware of what they're watching and what they're consuming and how problematic it can be. Because we're just not talking about it at all. Mm -hmm. Which is probably the worst thing for us, to be honest. And it's really hard because obviously we know, as we just look through all of the stats, that there is a huge desire for these problematic searches. And instead, we I think it's important to look at like our own society and its roots in racism, its roots in patriarchy, and maybe question like why we have these desires. Obviously, it is important to critique Pornhub and like 
maybe have these discussions, definitely, but it's also like these desires are still there, whether or not there is Pornhub. And at the end of the day, Pornhub and these other sites are like a tool that we use to kind of further something that's already there. So maybe like it is so important to have these discussions so that we can then maybe try and unlearn all mm. these things that we have really deeply ingrained in us as a society. Um, and what we do with it is up to us, you know? And like, if we know these things and we kind of try and unlearn them and are talking about them, then maybe they won't be on the top searched lists anymore. Like you said, we have a lot of control over what we do ourselves. So like starting small is super important mm -hmm. and having these conversations with people close to you because most people are watching porn or at least have at some point in their lives. Yeah. Getting into another critique on porn um, is porn addiction um, or compulsive porn watching habits. And I think this is kind of becoming again more popular as like social media talks about porn mm -hmm. and just like how much people watch porn, how often we rely on porn and how I guess technology too is making it even more accessible and people are watching it daily um a lot of discourse uh, just there's a lot going on there so we did want to touch base on that um overall a lot of researchers do not necessarily believe that porn addiction is a real addiction and thus feel no treatment is necessary so there is currently a lot of discourse back and forth about the, the legitimacy of addiction porn addiction specifically i mean um and just like in general, though we know it can have real negative effects for people, mm -hmm. um, there are a, there's a I guess a couple different researchers who kind of again are on the fence um, and argue that there is little evidence that sex or pornography in general is addictive, and that the idea of porn addiction is rooted in outdated and potentially harmful cultural norms. Um, kind of like what we've talked about historically, there are of course shifts in the way we feel and view sex and porn in our society. Um, but it's also important that there are people who do claim it is addictive and oppose its existence altogether and have a lot of like very rigid ideas about health and sexuality and how porn kind of falls into that. So there's just a lot of, I mean, there's a lot on both sides of the negative effects of porn and porn addiction. So we did want to like just let people know that there is both sides to that. Um, but at the end of the day, um, I think that there is not necessarily a comprehensive understanding or evidence that porn addiction is real, yet people obviously have problems with it and are, of course, they're capable of creating unhealthy relationships with porn, or like, and I guess that goes with kind of anything. So mm -hmm. being aware of, of these, um, I guess, compulsive porn watching habits, if it is an issue for you or someone you know, and just like being aware of these unhealthy relationships we're placing on porn or any, honestly, anything really. Mm -hmm. um, going into some treatment. Um, there quote unquote. Been, yeah, quote, quote unquote. There's some discussion there. But of course, at the end of the day, if you feel unstable and just like unsafe in that space and feel like your use of porn is too much, um, it can be harmful. So if you feel it's a problem, I think it's worth it to explore with a trusted professional and, and to talk about that. Um, but some some people kind of use different addiction treatments. Um, also going to therapy, discussing relationship problems, sexual shame and depression. I think shame kind of is a really big thing mm -hmm. when it comes to addiction and just honestly sex issues in general. Mm -hmm. um, we have a lot of shame just because of the way sex is talked about within our culture. 
um, and in society today. So I think kind of working through that. Um, couples counseling too, depending on if it's like a partner situation um, where they talk about their relationships and both people's um, understanding and relationship with porn. There is some medication, though it's not super widely used. Um, also, of course, lifestyle changes. So at the end of the day too, if porn is an issue for you for whatever reason, trying to create like more meaningful connection with yourself and having like a really serious conversation of what your consumption like habits are and then doing your best to stop them or minimize them. There's also some discourse on pornography within relationships. And I think that can be a really complicated conversation to have within a relationship. Um, it can be a complicated discussion by yourself. So mm. when you add another person in with different views and ideologies, it can be a really hard conversation. Um, it kind of is across the board on what people's views are with porn, just as everything else. But porn, I feel like, is especially divisive. And just in general, it's hard to talk about. So I think being on the same page and being open with partners is just the most important thing. Um, being open and wanting to communicate is hard when it comes to porn, but it's also something that we can do proactively to make sure it isn't harming our relationships with with anyone in our lives. And just in general, if someone wants to cut down on their porn use but feels unable to do so, that would be another situation where you may want to reach out to a healthcare professional. I think that it's important to note, too, that the Journal of, of Sex Research, who is like one of the most leading journals for research regarding sexuality, sexual habits, sexual health, etc. in general, you know, published a study that showed the majority of porn users, specifically 87%, reported no impact or only positive impact. So though there is a lot of discourse, what we have now is basically telling us that porn is generally not problematic on our mental health necessarily however can cause problems and i think that that's you know like alcohol it's like drugs well okay drugs is a little different well it's it's there's a lot going into it but i think that again as long as we're like conscious of the relationship that we hold with what we're watching and consuming it helps us know if we're doing these things like healthily and if it's having a good impact so overall, you know, as we kind of close out of this episode, there is a lot of the what we were referring to specifically was not ethical porn. And, you know, what that exactly is, is creators are typically underpaid, mistreated, tokenized. The content typically fetishizes, promotes rape culture, excludes safe words, doesn't show any depictions of consent and also is just like really performative and then finally the audience um it sets an unrealistic expectation especially for the young population and it's really unfortunate that non-ethical porn is like really what is so popular in society but i'm excited to kind of explore other options in the next episode with y'all yes well well, okay, just wrapping up. Um, in this episode, we talked about the pros and cons of porn. Tune into part two of this episode to hear about porn ethics, how we consume ethical porn, and how to remain conscious of the porn we watch. Thanks for listening. Bye! Bye.